good to be with you all this afternoon, this evening. Hey, can we give the creative team a hand? Sorry, Django. There is nothing like leading a congregation, especially when the tech is not on your side. Um, So well done, guys. Did absolutely well. So friends, I want to echo what Alex said and Loz said. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers that are here. Um, To me, this is a special day, Um, not only because I have a mum over in Australia, but um, for a number of years, my wife and I were standing strong um, in our faith, trusting and believing for a baby. Oh, every time this gets me. And, uh, and so for a few years, my wife and I would sit in a Sunday service when, when we would celebrate Mother's Day, um, just strongly believing that we would be sitting and celebrating uh, my wife being a mother. And we get to do that. And why am I saying this? Because I recognize that every year we have mothers in the congregation who are still also believing and trusting for a baby. And we also have mothers with us who have lost mothers. And so we want to say that we honor you all, every single one of you, whether you have a child or don't have a child yet, or you, whatever your, your situation is. And we want to say that we love you and we are with you, and we encourage you, and we want to be praying with you. So whatever your story is, let us be a part of it. Um, But we just wanted to honor all of the mums or future mums to be in this place. Um, So if you don't know me, I am the guy who cries a lot. No, I'm joking, I'm not. Hopefully you won't be. Uh, But my name is Kelvin. I'm on team here at New Life Brisbane, and I've had the privilege of being a part of New Life Brisbane now for, for a few months as we go through this transition of waiting for our permanent pastor, Alex, and his wife, Kath, um, to join us in June, which is going to be amazing. So I'm going to kick us off, and uh, wh- how I want to start is actually when I was preparing, I couldn't get away from the this, from this saying that your actions speak louder than your words, and I'm sure that you all would be familiar with this, um, but when I came to Australia, it was, that, it was then that that statement actually became so true to me. Um, when we came over... Coming from South Africa, um, and we, I know we got some South Africans here, um, they would be able to relate knowing that when you're in South Africa, it's a lot more common to walk into or bump into people of similar faith um, or people who go to church on a Sunday. And when I came to Australia walk, working in a corporate environment, um, it, was a, it was a shock to me that I was amongst 30 staff and not one Christian, not one person who shared the same, if not similar views, that Sunday was the day that we went to church, um, or that God was number one in our lives. It was quite foreign to me. And if I can be honest, it was challenging as well, because I, I come from a rugby environment where I had the boldness to proclaim my faith amongst um, guys 20 kgs and another meter taller than me, um, but coming into a corporate environment amongst males and females who would very boldly challenge me on my faith um, was, quite, was quite interesting. And so uh, this was a perfect reminder for me um, because it made me realize that my actions are going to speak louder than my words. And so in every situation, I tried to honor God with the way that I served the people um, or served my colleagues in the way that I loved them, in the way that I encouraged them. Um, hoping that God would just use, um, open up an opportunity or use that moment for them to see that there's something different about me. Um, and one particular day, I was walking out of the office, and I was walking past the receptionist, and um, at the time, I didn't have much to do with her, and she wrote, as I was walking past, she wrote on a piece of paper, and then slid the piece of paper over to me and mouthed, hey, Calvin, if you can hear me, are you a Christian? 
And I was so taken back by this one that she, that she felt she had to whisper to ask me if I was a Christian. Um, but two, that, that someone had actually observed who I didn't actually know too well. And it was at that moment where I was like, wow, God, that's all that we actually need to do. We just need to honor the Father and the, and, and the rest will come. Um, we, at the end of the day, are just a conduit of His love. And so if we call ourselves Christians um, or, or Jesus followers, how does someone know whether we are different to them? Um, when someone is watching you from a distance, what do they see? Or, or when someone is speaking with you, what do they hear? Or when someone is watching you at work, at a cafe, at a sports game, we're talking about the Reds versus, versus Brumbies earlier, go the Reds, um, at a sports game, what do they see? And this leads me to the question that we're actually walking through together through this Ephesians series, how now shall we live? How do we live individually, and how do we live as a community? And can I add, if you are with us this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then this message is also for you. My prayer is that when you hear how we are called to live, or you hear how we choose to live, that you would want to be a part of the way or this life that we call living for Jesus. And so in chapter 1, we started, I'm just going to give you a quick summary to bring you up to speed of where we are. In chapter 1, we saw the big picture of salvation from the perspective of eternity. And then Paul lets the Ephesians know that this is what salvation looks like. This is what it looks like to live for Christ. In chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God decided to advance, in advance, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. And then Aaron last week took us through the first chapter, um, first part, sorry, of chapter two, looking at salvation on an individual level. What does it mean to be dead to sin and then raised to life in Christ? And then how do we live out that purpose for which we've been created in Christ? And he summed that up in two words. Anyone remember? But God. Thank you, Morris. Well done. You were obviously listening. No one else was. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I thought I'd just throw a curveball, and it didn't work too well. Anyway, so um, the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 is about the individual implications of salvation. Okay, the first part of chapter 2, individual implications of salvation. And now the second part, what we're going through today, is the communal view of salvation. So we're looking at the question, how do we be the people of God together? And how do we be the people of God together in spite of our incredible racial, cultural, and social economic differences? Because that is exactly what was going on in Ephesians at that day. And when Paul was writing that letter, that is exactly what he was addressing. He was saying, is it really possible for the work of Jesus to be so deep, so profound, that in a city like Ephesus, which was so divided in the things like race and class, that God could build a new humanity that it really embodied what Jesus had done on the cross. And if the church is going to really embody the gospel of Jesus, we have to figure out what it means to live in this community as this new humanity like Ephesians did. Okay, And, and friends, this is the kind of message that we need today. Because if you have a look around you, in the current state of our world, this is what we need. We need a community that models the love of Jesus. 
And so that's the question we're going to be going through. What does it mean to live as one people of God? And Paul is addressing this in the second part of chapter 2, and this is what we'll be going through. So it's quite a technical passage here today. So what I've done is I've split it up into three parts. So the first part we'll be looking at is what we once were, looking at verse 11 to 12, what we once were, what Jesus Christ has done, and then what we have now become. I know it's difficult to remember that, but hopefully you had a chance to write it down if you're taking notes. What we once were, looking at verse 11 to 12, what Jesus Christ has done, and what we have now become. So let's jump in. In fact, before we jump in, can we pray together? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come here together, whether we know you or whether we don't. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us through this message that I feel you've placed in my heart today. Father, somehow let us get a glimpse of your love for us. Let us get a glimpse of your call on our life. Let us get a glimpse of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we once were. Um, let's jump into chapter 11 to 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you, were, you who were, are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So in chapter 2, verse 11 we see the first and only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We see Paul saying, remember. And he's speaking to the Gentiles. For those of you who may not know, to give you some context, in those days, the Gentiles were those who wouldn't call themselves Jews. And the Jews were those who were circumcised. And they, everyone else who wasn't a Jew would call themselves a Gentile. So if you're not a Jew here, we would, like myself, we would be a Gentile. So speaking to the Gentiles, he says, remember where we came. I should probably, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, I heard a few people go there, and I'm not going there. Speaking to the Gentiles, he says, remember where we came from and what God has done. Okay, so Paul's saying to the Gentiles, remember where, you, where we've come from and remember what God has done, producing the kind of humility that enables us to actually function as believers in Jesus Christ. So Paul wants them to remember at that time that they were separate from Christ. They were strangers. They had no hope. They were having no hope and living without God. No access. They were foreigners, excluded from citizenship into Israel and from the covenants of the promise. Basically, he's saying to them, you're an illegal immigrant. The country may offer you promise, but the authorities are going to offer you fear. And I don't know if you've ever felt like a foreigner or if you're not welcome, um, but there was a particular time when I was working at Bond University previously, uh, previous to coming into ministry, and uh, I was having to travel around South America to see some of our clients, and I was flying from Peru to Colombia and then on to Mexico. And um, I was so excited to get to Colombia. Never been to Colombia, um, heard all the amazing stories, um, and I was so excited to experience this for the first time. Not only that, but I had just, I just um, the night before, had dinner with clients, and I had got, gotten food poisoning. So I was sick as ever, and so keen just to get to Colombia and just chill in the hotel. And it's a three-hour flight from Peru to Colombia. So I couldn't wait for this flight now to be over. Land in Colombia, um, stoked to be there. It was a red-eye flight, so I arrived, I think, at 5 a.m., couldn't wait to get out of this place. Hand my passport through at customs, and the guy's paging through for a while. And you know that awkward moment where you just know something is not right. 
And then he looks up at me, actually picked up the phone first for a couple seconds, had no idea what the brother said, and next thing I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around and it's, a, and it's security. And he just waves me, he says, wave, come with me, he didn't say that, but he waves me, he said something, can't remember what it was, obviously Spanish. So I go with him and I swear he took me into a prison cell. It was as if it was a prison cell, it wasn't, but it felt like one. It turns out that I didn't have a visa and I was given wrong information by the Sydney consulate, uh, the Colombian consulate in Sydney, saying that I didn't need a visa for that particular trip. And so now we had a three, maybe four hour conversation over Google Translate, trying to um, work this out with one another. Friends, if I can tell you that, about a vulnerable moment, that would be it. Um, realizing that I had absolutely no status in this country, realizing I had no rights, um, no access, a massive communication barrier. Talk about feelings of vulnerability. And so this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying apart from Jesus, you have no access, you have no privileges, you have no rights, you have no status in the kingdom of God. And this is who you were. So he's reminding them, you don't have Jesus and you don't have citizenship. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean to live as one people of God, knowing who we once were. Why am I going on this random tangent? And it's because, friends, we live our lives today knowing that we, one people of God, live with and in Christ. And I can promise you now that living with and in Christ, it is so much better than living as a foreigner, alone, away from God's peace, living away from his joy, trying on our own to figure out or find that one thing to fill the unexplainable void. And friends, only Christ can fill that void. I've been very fortunate that I've grown up in a Christian home and, and, and in a church for most of my life, um, where my, my parents uh, yeah, brought us up in a church, and we, we were in that church from day one. And so I haven't experienced this myself, but I've had many, many friends, close friends, who have been on a journey trying to find that one thing to fill that unexplainable void. And then coming to find Christ, and then realizing that it was just finding him that was going to bring that happiness or that was going to bring that joy or that contentment or that fulfillment. And they off, every single one wishes that they made that decision or that commitment earlier. And so as followers of Christ, I, I summed it up into three words. We don't have to live in the past. Okay, We get to live in the present by anticip with anticipating the future. So what do I mean by that? Living in the past is letting the knowledge of our sin weigh on us. And some harden their hearts to this. Maybe they drown their, their guilt in addictive behaviors, um, or maybe they lie, lie to themselves about it. But our spirits know, something in us knows that we have done wrong. And, that, and, and, and it's something that seeks resolution. And so we know our sin needs forgiveness. We can't keep going the way that we've been going. And unfortunately, we're unable to obtain forgiveness or freedom from that sin, as Aaron reminded us last week, only God, but God. So God sent his one and only son to become the final sacrifice for those sins. And when we trust Jesus' sacrifice, God declares our sin is forgiven. Our past is wiped clean, and we are given a fresh start. And that brings us to the present Living with Christ allows us to step into the purpose for which you were created. See, God designed each of us for a unique purpose, 
that we can only discover when we are in relationship with Him. And human beings are like mirrors. I'm sure you've heard this saying before. A mirror serves no useful purpose covered in mud or covered in dirt. Likewise, human beings serve no eternal purpose covered in sin and shame. And when a mirror is wiped clean, that mirror reflects the beauty around it. Just like when we are wiped clean by Jesus' blood, by, ask, by repenting and asking for forgiveness, then um, we reflect the beauty of, and the glory of God. And as we grow in our faith and in our wisdom, we reflect His image in unique ways, and we discover the gifts that He entrusted to us to serve Him and to serve others. No longer chasing our own happiness, we find deeper fulfillment in living out God's plan for our lives. Friends, I'm going to say that again. No longer chasing our own happiness, and we find deeper fulfillment in living out God's plan for our lives. Storing our treasures in heaven and not on this earth, because that is so contradictory to the way that the world tells us to live today. And then we, got the, we look at the future. Physical death is not the end. Jesus conquered death, and he invites us to join him in eternal life. And that's the best part of that story. He already paid for our ticket, but we have to accept it on his terms, which leads us to what Jesus Christ has done. So 13 to 18, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside his flesh, the law, which, which it, with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So just a few points on that particular passage. He brings Jews and Gentiles together, making two groups one. So why is this important to us? Just to give you some context here, in those days, the Jews used to describe the Gentiles as dogs. They absolutely despised one another. It's actually really interesting when you go into research and work out the, the challenges between Jews and Gentiles. It's so interesting. But here Christ himself comes in and breaks this barrier and deconstructs any precedence through God's peace. See, he brings us close, but he brings us close only by the blood of Christ. No person, no actions, no denomination is going to bring us close or save us for that matter. It's Christ and Christ alone. And it's by his blood which comes from what he did on the cross for us. Imagine what we could do as the church, the big C, the big C church, if we worked as one. Imagine if, what we could do if we were just one and we weren't divided, divided by our own opinions, divided by denominations, not getting distracted with, distracted with which denomination um, is superior to the other. Imagine if there was unity across all denominations, what we could do if we found the ability to pool our gifts and resources to promote the kingdom to a lost world. Thinking of pulling our gifts um, for the kingdom makes me think of the Avengers. And, and if you haven't watched any of the Avengers movies, don't worry, you're not missing out. Um, they're good, they're not amazing. Um, my wife would strongly disagree, she's a big fan. Um, but what we have here is a group of superheroes, and these superheroes fight the enemies that no single superhero can withstand. And so they, they have this thing saying, Avengers assemble. We need something. We need something, bro. Some sort of Warcraft. You can think of something. That would be amazing. 
Avengers Assemble. Um, I'm not saying that we don't have the authority to, to, fight spiritual, to fight our spiritual battles. But what I'm saying is there is, numbers in com- there is strength in community. There is strength in numbers. And we see that with how um, Jesus assembles his 12 disciples to go out and spread the gospel. And ultimately, this is what Christ has done. Jews and Gentiles are now on the same team. So Christ's purpose here is to create one new humanity, bringing renewal and making it better. The term used here in Greek is the word kainos, and the definition of that word refers to something completely unlike what it was before. Completely unlike what it was before. It refers to being different in kind as well as in quality. So spiritually, a new person in Christ, once they make that decision to step in and trust God and hand over their life and commit their life to Christ, they're no longer a Jew, no longer a Gentile, they are a Christian made new and made better. In fact, it actually tells us, after doing some research, that it was a new human race united by Jesus Christ himself. I love this quote by John Chrysostom, one of the church fathers. He says, It is though one took a statue of silver and a statue of lead, put them into a forge, and they they came out a statue of gold. They They have not only become one, they have become better. And so, friends, if you are here and you're thinking, oh, I have no idea what this dude is talking about, um, if you take anything, take that away. That once you make that decision to step into what Christ has got for you, you're made better. And I know you could be sitting there going, that makes absolutely no sense to me. And trust me, I know, it doesn't. But somehow, through his love, through the power of his spirit, we are made better. And he takes us on this journey where we think, um, why are these things happening? And somehow, an example, trusting for a baby, when you think, how can, why do we have to go through this? Why can't we have what our sister has? Or why can't we experience what they're experiencing? And when you're thinking those thoughts, it's God who comes in and gives you the strength and the power to get through whatever that thing is that you're facing. Um, going back to my message, um, just, just that quote saying, bringing Jews and Gentiles together, making them, making them one, made the scripture that I've been uh, looking at for quite some time, Galatians 3.26, make so much more sense. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and is according to the promise. So the last point that I'm wanting to make on that, on, on, um, on that part is he is our peace and he's broken any separation or any barrier. So during this time, there was an actual physical wall in the Holy Temple separating Jews from Gentiles. And, and as we recall, Paul has been falsely accused and arrested, but falsely accused for bringing a Gentile into the Holy Temple and crossing over that wall or that barrier. And uh, unfortunately, we all have walls or barriers in our lives. All have walls or barriers that are preventing God from doing what he wants to do in our life. But the best thing is, God can break that wall or that barrier. But what we need to do is actually make that step, make that commitment saying, Lord, I hand this over to you. So we're saved by the same gospel, 
And we, the one people of God, have the same access to God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. No one or the other has superior access to God, even if you think you're God's favorite. Sorry, brother. We all have the same access. You thought you were his favorite, Ezra. You thought. Um, So this is amazing news for us today, because not only do we have access to the King, our Heavenly Father, but what Jesus has done for us, but we are one nation on one mission. And this brings me to my third and final point, so the band can come up, what we have now become. So looking at 19 to 22, what we have now become. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love that you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So friends, it's not about a building. It's about his people. And this is where it's put back onto us, his people. How are we sacrificially loving one another, living as one people of God? And I've actually come to see New Life Brisbane do this exceptionally well. I've seen story after story. I love this quote by John uh, John Tyson, grace and love is the only thing that melts the heart into reconciliation. Grace and love. Story after story I've experienced being over here for the past few months in New Life Brisbane, of people walking into this building, people coming to love God, to know God, resulting in in, in them loving and caring, uh, sorry, for people like you, all of you, loving and caring for these people. And a story comes to mind of Jem, For those of you who haven't met Jim, I don't think he's here today, walking past the building and being drawn in by the worship music, deciding that he wanted to come and be a part of this um, or or just have a look at what's happening in this building. And as he walks in the door, Drew welcomes him with open arms, makes him feel welcome and a part of the family. Drew then invites him out to dinner, decides to pay for his dinner. Drew introduces him to all of his other brothers and sisters and Jim is welcomed into the family realizing that this is where he wants to be. And Jem is now doing Alpha, being invited to Alpha. He's being helped on how to use his Bible app on his phone by a number of people in here, I've heard. He's also now talking to us about joining a small group. This is how to live as the people of God. Lauren, for those of you who have walked through the city with Lauren, you know you're not going to get far very fast. Because she sees through the love of Jesus every opportunity to stop, to pray, to encourage, to bless someone, to buy lunch for them. It's awesome. Luke Borgett is another example. Luke was obviously modeling a lifestyle of Jesus, and his colleague asked him questions about his church. Next thing, Dan and Rachel decide that they're going to come and check out this church, and we get to be a part of, of, of the special family joining our New Life Brisbane family. And then Dan decides that he wants to take his next step in his faith journey and gets baptized with a number of people outside in the city, and we get blessed by hearing his testimony. 
Talk About Boldness by Young Dan. See, friends, as we sacrificially love one another, the world looks to the church and sees a single new humanity, a model of human community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their Father, their Heavenly Father, and love each other. And the church becomes the evidence-dwelling place of God and His Spirit. And so when we ask ourselves, how now shall we live as the people of God? It's knowing we live in and with Christ, forgetting the past, living in the present, anticipating the future. We live as a kainos people, a new kind, a new human race united by Jesus Christ himself. And we live as a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other. John 14 verse eight, show them the father and that will be enough. I love that. Show them the Father, and that will be enough. And this community does that well. And as you do that, you just watch how God builds His church and changes people's hearts. So friends, if you're you're in here um, this afternoon, and, and a lot of this isn't making sense to you, we would love to be, well, maybe that's one, that's me. I'm still getting used to this preaching thing, but loving it. But two, we would love to have the conversation, have the opportunity to have a conversation with you and tell you more about why we are so passionate about this God and this King, this Heavenly Father who wants to welcome you into the family. And that's exactly what it is. It's brothers and sisters making mistakes, learning together as we spread the good news of a Heavenly Father who models the perfect example of what it is to live in love So friends, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we come to the end of this message, Father, what is the next step that you're wanting us to take? Lord, wherever we are in our journey with you, wherever we are, whatever whatever situation we find ourselves in, Father, we know, or I know, that you've got a plan for every single person here today. And I want to speak to, or pray for those specifically, Lord, who don't know you well yet. Lord, let them come to know the love of the Father through the love of your people, the love of your community. We thank you that we get the privilege of being a part of your family, Lord. Calling you dad, brothers and sisters. We praise and we thank you, Father, that it's not finished. That you'll keep working in our hearts, Lord. Show us what that next step might be that you want us to take. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to, the worship team is going to take us into a time of worship, um, and we're going to have some people on the side here who will be available to pray with you, pray for you, and no matter what you're feeling in your heart, whatever it might be, we would love to pray for you. We would love to pray with you. Even if you don't, you're feeling like you're wanting to take the next step, but you don't know what that next step is, come and have a chat with us. And if we are so busy there, 
line up. Absolutely fine. So we're going to go into time of worship, um, and we'll just see what God's wanting to do. Is that okay?